You are getting 100% Jody on Women Taking the Lead. There is such a stigma around spirituality and exploring concepts like faith, divinity, intuition, and higher callings. It's not to say that I feel a need to talk about these things all the time, but even when it's relevant, I often find myself saying very little on the subject, even though the truth of the matter is, I believe these things are woven into everything. Hello, my name is Jody Flynn and welcome to Women Taking the Lead, where we are all about creating blasts of inspiration to help you overcome self-doubt so you can lead with confidence, integrity, and a sense of humor. Have you grabbed your copy of my best-selling book, Accomplished, How to Go from Dreaming to Doing? Head over to womentakingthelead.com forward slash accomplished to access the secrets to achievement and success. Now, your future awaits, so let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome. I feel like I'm inviting you into my living room because this is going to be an intimate conversation. Buckle up because this is another one of those what I'm afraid to tell you episodes like the one I did six months ago. This episode was brought on by two conversations I had within a two-week period. The first conversation was a coaching call with one of my clients. She has given me permission to share our conversation with you, and I am very grateful to her. We have been working together for about two and a half months now, so we've gotten very comfortable with one another. In fact, when we've talked about personality tests like Myers-Briggs and DISC, our profiles are a near match. She joked that if we lived near each other, we'd either be hanging out all the time or avoiding each other because we would be a mirror to the other, and there might be times when we didn't like what we'd see, (laughs) and I completely agreed. We were chatting a couple weeks ago, and she mentioned that she wasn't sure of me when she first started listening to the podcast. She enjoyed the interviews and got a sense that we had a similar take on things, but the Marianne Williamson quote at the end of my episodes has a strong reference to God, and that did not resonate with her. Also, being from the UK and living in Australia, she also sees how evangelical U.S. citizens can be. I chuckled and thought this impression was very fair considering what gets blasted in the news and on Facebook whenever there is a presidential election. She had a valid concern considering she didn't know me very well at the time. However, it was when she heard my episode on higher consciousness versus traditional theology that she realized that I was a spiritual person but not practicing any religion. It was then everything clicked and within a few weeks she reached out to me and we scheduled a Skype call. I was very appreciative that she shared this with me and grateful that an unintended consequence of that episode, also inspired by a conversation with another client, allowed her to feel comfortable reaching out to me. Okay, so that conversation happened, and about a week later, I was having a one-to-one networking meeting with a member from another BNI chapter in my area. I had recently seen a book list he put together for his employees and included some of my favorite books like Start With Why, The Four Agreements, and The Alchemist, books that from my perspective are spiritual but not religious, along with another book that had the word spiritual right in the title. Of course, I had to ask him if he considered himself a spiritual person. This opened up the gates to a conversation I did not see coming. During our conversation, I told him what my client recently shared with me about the perception she had had. He asked me some great questions and picked up on the fact that this is an area I censor myself, not just on this podcast, but in my entire life. 
There is such a stigma around spirituality and exploring concepts like faith, divinity, intuition, and higher callings. It's not to say that I feel a need to talk about these things all the time, but even when it's relevant, I often find myself saying very little on the subject, even though the truth of the matter is, I believe these things are woven into everything. From my perspective, there is no conversation where the topics are not relevant. It's like trying to pretend water is unnecessary. In the course of a conversation, I would have no problem saying, do you mind if we pause while I go fill up my glass of water? But the thought of saying, do you mind if we pause while I check in with my intuition, makes me feel squeamish. I could count on one hand the number of people I would feel comfortable saying that to, and I only feel comfortable because they did it first, thus giving me permission to do the same. And this is probably something many of you have grappled with. Being type A and likely left-brained logical thinkers, we like our facts, our case studies, and what has been scientifically proven. It can be difficult for us to embrace faith because that would mean letting go of control and allowing things to unfold. We don't like being told what to think and believe or having anyone assign our role or cap our potential. So the dogma of religious institutions can chafe against who we are at our core. And for most of us, we have collapsed spirituality and religion into the same concept, but they are distinct. Spirit is your non-physical form and your connection to something greater than yourself as an individual. Your spirituality is how you choose to explore and express that connection. Religion is a system of practicing faith and worship. Religion is structured and has agreed upon principles. I want to be clear that I am all for a religious practice if it aligns with you and allows you to grow in your spirituality. Joining a religious community can provide support, guidance, and company in your spiritual journey. I was raised Catholic, and although I am not a practicing Catholic, there are many things that I treasure about the Catholic faith. I can't remember what age I was, but I would guess it was somewhere between fourth and sixth grade. I had a catechism teacher whom I felt comfortable with. Because of my level of comfort, I would pepper her with questions. Being logical, we can instantly see when things don't add up, when they don't make sense, and if there is inconsistent information, we have a hard time trusting the source. For instance, in the Catholic faith, you are only to receive communion if you are in a state of grace meaning your sins have been absolved, and you can only receive absolution by confessing to a priest and doing your penance. So for example, if you skip mass the week prior and haven't made it to confession, it's a no-no to receive communion. However, during the mass right before receiving the Eucharist, the entire congregation repeats the words, Lord, I am not worthy to receive you, but only say the word and I shall be healed. Having said that, and believing in a forgiving God, you are still not to receive communion unless you have confessed to a priest. Still, often when I am back in Worcester visiting family, I will attend Mass with them for several reasons. I like the people of their parish. They are warm and friendly and comical. It also makes my parents happy to see me attending Mass. They do not push, nor do they hide their hope that all their children will become practicing Catholics once again. They are very respectful of my choices, and so I feel a freedom to attend Mass. Lastly, I sometimes become very moved during the Mass. 
When you get past the quirkiness of the Catholic Mass and some of the dogma that doesn't resonate, you can see that it is designed to create an environment in which you can have a spiritual experience. Sometimes I feel so connected to that something greater, my eyes start to water. If you cut yourself off from the notion that there is something greater than our mortal coil, you will limit what is possible for you in regard to your own development and your human experience. I remember watching a PBS broadcast of a talk Wayne Dyer gave, and he made the statement, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. That stirred something in me, and I realized I already believed that, but I had never heard it articulated in that way. That is at the core of my beliefs, but it has been a journey to get here. My faith has been tested many times, and I went through a time when it was shattered. As I share this story, I don't want you to get hung up on the word God. If God resonates with you, great. If not, know that in the telling of this story, I could interchangeably use the words source, higher power, universe, etc. Change out God for the word that is true to you. In 2005, life was really good for me. My career was going well, and I had a great group of friends. My brother Jimmy had been living in Maine for a year, and we were roommates. Family is so important to me, and it was nice having at least one family member in my day-to-day life. When he came to Maine, he got into shape, started running with me, and became friends with my friends who loved him. I couldn't make plans to party with my friends without being asked, is Jimmy coming? (laughs) My sister Carrie and her husband Ben got married in April, and my best friend Christina got married in August. My sister Erin got engaged and began planning her wedding for September of 2006. I completed the main half marathon in October and immediately committed to running the main marathon one year later. It would go down one week after Erin's wedding. In November, I overhauled my nutrition and created a training plan. In December, I accepted my fifth promotion in six years, and starting in January of 2006, I would be the Assistant Vice President of Corporate Quality. Have you ever heard the song, The Future's So Bright, I Gotta Wear Shades? Yeah, that was me. There were definitely challenges, there always are, but I was facing and resolving them one by one, and my confidence was high. The first half of 2006 was me putting everything into action. Jimmy had let me know that he had no interest in running the marathon, but he would train with me so I would have company on my long runs. But in July, Jimmy, who had been discontent with his job for some time, started exploring going back into the Army. The first week of August, he got word that he could have the job in the Army that he was hoping for, but he would have to leave in two weeks to get it. I was happy for him, but it also made me very, very sad. It also meant my last three long runs, which were going to be 22 miles, 24 miles, and 26 miles, would be done on my own. I considered finding an apartment for just me, but financially it made more sense to buy a condo, and so I began my search and quickly found a condo that suited me. The scramble to check tasks off my list and fill out a ton of paperwork began. I got a closing date of September 15th, and that was going to be one week before Aaron's wedding and two weeks before the marathon. By the second week in August, I received an email that my brother-in-law, Ben's dad, Mike, had gone into the hospital and it was serious. 
My family had been so close to Ben's family for years that I thought of his mom and dad as my aunt and uncle and his brother and sister as my cousins. I went home that weekend to visit his family in the intensive care unit. On August 18th, Mike died at the age of 50. And the next day, I dropped Jimmy off at the Army recruiting office and said goodbye. Around this time, my Uncle Eddie, who had been previously diagnosed with cancer, started to decline and was placed in a hospice. On August 31st, less than two weeks after Mike, my Uncle Eddie died. And childhood memories of him at family weddings, buying all of us kids Shirley Temples, came flooding back to me. It was painful to see my dad grieve. He was one of five children, and now only he and my Aunt Tina remained. I continued my training, hired a moving company, and began packing up all my stuff in preparation. On September 11th, again, less than two weeks after my Uncle Eddie had died, and four days before I was closing on my new home, I got a call from my best friend, Christina. Her mom, Ruth, had died suddenly and without warning. My entire being rejected the information. I don't know how to quite put Ruth into words. She was quiet and unassuming, though she certainly had her opinions. She accepted and loved people for who they are. She cheated at cards, badly. She was a proper Bostonian. Her family had come over on the Mayflower. Her parents were deans at the Harvard Business School and Wesleyan College. Yet she wasn't above a water gun fight at my brother Stephen's homecoming party when he returned from Iraq. My confirmation name is Ruth, and I think we connected over that from the start. The day we went shopping for and found Christina's wedding dress, we came home in the afternoon and popped champagne. We popped a lot of champagne that day. (laughs) I don't know where the time went, but at 3 a.m., the three of us climbed into Ruth's king-size bed and watched Singing in the Rain and sang along to every song. I knew she was dear to me, but her death exposed to me a depth of love for her that I had been unaware of. The next few days were a blur. Though Christina's mom lived in Boston, many of my friends in Maine, who were also my coworkers, had attended at least one of the annual barbecues Christina, Ruth, myself, and a group of friends had been putting on over the last several years. They had all fallen in love with Ruth, too, and their dismay over her death was comforting to me. I closed on my home on Friday. Saturday, moving day, was a series of unfortunate events, but as soon as all of my stuff was in my condo, I locked the door, got in my car, and drove two hours to Boston. A core group of Christina's closest friends and family members had gathered to be with her as extended family, neighbors, and friends stopped by to bring food, offer their condolences, and help with all the arrangements. Sunday morning was the first opportunity I had to let everything that had been happening over the last six weeks settle in. There was a few moments when the shock and numbness faded, and I felt an enormous pain that went beyond physical pain. And then the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Popped into my head, and then I was numb once again. I remember over the next couple of weeks, there were moments sadness would overwhelm me and I would break down and cry, and then I would go back to feeling numb. I came back to Boston the next weekend. Ruth's memorial service was in the morning, her reception followed, and in the late afternoon, I hugged Christina goodbye and then drove to Worcester for Aaron's wedding rehearsal. 
I pulled myself together, walked into the church, and my brother Sean made a crack about me being late for my own sister's wedding. I burst into tears. Oh my God, my poor brother. The look on his face. He was stunned and so sorry. I then, I was in the lineup to do a reading during the mass and I was handed the reading at the rehearsal. It was the same reading that had been read at Ruth's service that morning. I broke down again, this time to my sister Carrie and my brother-in-law, Ben. I sobbed that I didn't know if I could do it. That night and the next morning, I kept practicing the reading to try to make it rote, to take the emotion out of it, but I couldn't make it through without starting to cry. And when I say cry, I'm not talking about beautiful, silent tears that slowly roll down your cheeks. My face scrunched up, my shoulders hunched forward, and my gut tightened like someone was about to punch me in the stomach. It wasn't pretty. Given my relationship with Erin, we also had a few laughs at how ridiculous it was that I could not do one run-through of the reading without crying. Erin told me it still meant a lot to her for me to do the reading, but she would understand if I wanted to back out. I did the reading. I cried through it at a wedding, but I did it. The next weekend, I ran the main marathon. Friends of Christina's and my sister Katie signed up to do the relay so I could do most of the marathon with a partner. My mom and dad, my nephew Tiernan, Carrie and Ben all came up for the weekend to watch me cross the finish line. I was gratified that I completed the marathon, but was also feeling very empty inside. After a late lunch, everyone was on the road back to Massachusetts and I went back to my condo. Looking back now on that time period after the marathon, I can see how disconnected I was. I walked into a bad but blessedly brief relationship. The tight-knit group of friends I had inside and outside of work began to disintegrate. I began overtraining because I wasn't paying attention to the signs my body was giving me, and I threw myself into my work. I think I existed like that for a good year or more. I did start to come back to myself and taking better care, but I still felt empty. In 2008, my friend Neva was wrapping up her year attending the University of Tel Aviv, and she invited me to come visit her before she came home. I jumped at it. It was just an amazing two weeks. I fell in love with Israel, but at one point in the trip, Neva went through the pictures we had been taking, and she exclaimed, Jody, you don't look happy in any of these pictures. Without thinking, I responded, that's because I'm not happy. And I couldn't explain why. Neva and I spent some time talking about it, and she gave me a lot of space to think my own thoughts and be silent for long stretches of time. It came to me that what had been missing was my relationship with God. I couldn't remember the last time I had had a conversation with God, something I regularly did in what I'll call my glory days. I knew what the problem was, so coming back from Israel, I felt more peaceful than I had been in a long time, but I didn't know what to do about this problem. After I returned home, I went back to Worcester and visited a very wise woman in my old neighborhood. I told her about the feeling of emptiness I had, my current relationship with God, and my loss at what to do about it. She said to me very gently, you know the moment you lost your connection with God. And suddenly I was brought back to when I had been in horrible pain and thought, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It suddenly clicked. I realized in that moment that it had not been God who had forsaken me. 
I had forsaken God. I turned away from God. I had severed that connection. The lovely woman I was sitting with suggested I start talking to God again like I would with a friend I had not seen in some time. It started slow, but I did begin an internal dialogue with God, and I'm so glad I did. In the next couple of years, I would go through two acquisitions at work, I would get certified as a coach, and I would launch my coaching business. I don't think I would have thrived through that time period without my faith and trust in God. There were experiences I had that were so incredible, I'll have to share it another time. They changed how I saw myself, how I related to others, and the world around me. And during this time, I read The Mastery of Love by Don Miguel Ruiz. I'll read you an excerpt from the final chapter of that book titled, God Within You. There is an old story from India about the god Brahma, who was all alone. Nothing existed but Brahma, and he was completely bored. Brahma decided to play a game, but there was no one to play the game with. So he created a beautiful goddess, Maya, just for the purpose of having fun. Once Maya existed and Brahma told her the purpose of her existence, she said, Okay, let's play the most wonderful game, but you have to do what I tell you to do. Brahma agreed, and following Maya's instructions, he created the whole universe. Brahma created the sun and the stars, the moon and the planets. Then he created life on earth, the animals, the oceans, the atmosphere, everything. Maya said, how beautiful is this world of illusion you created. Now I want you to create a kind of animal that is so intelligent and aware that it can appreciate your creation. Finally, Brahma created humans, and after he finished the creation, he asked Maya when the game was going to start. We will start right now, she said. She took Brahma and cut him into thousands of teeny tiny pieces. She put a piece inside every human and said, Now the game begins. I am going to make you forget what you are, and you are going to try to find yourself. Maya created the dream, and still, even today, Brahma is trying to remember who he is. Brahma is there inside you, and Maya is stopping you from remembering what you are. When you awake from the dream, you become Brahma again and reclaim your divinity. Then, if Brahma inside you says, Okay, I am awake, what about the rest of you? You know the trick of Maya, and you can share the truth with others who are going to wake up too. The Mastery of Love should have been listed in the episode in which I shared the books that changed my life, but I held it back. It was so personal to me because this story shared in The Mastery of Love is what I believe about all of us and our divinity. My belief is we are all divine beings. We are not just created in the image of God, we are God. There is no separation other than the separation we create. As a baby is just as human, as its human parents, we are as divine as our divine parent. It's no wonder to me now, when I severed my connection with God, I severed a connection I had to myself, and it left me feeling numb and empty and unable to take proper care of myself. 
I wonder sometimes, with the society we live in today, with the stigma around spirituality and exploring concepts like faith, divinity, intuition, and higher callings, if that's not the reason why so many people feel lost, unfulfilled, antsy, anxious, and depressed, why there is such dependence on alcohol, drugs, TV, or anything that will distract or numb us from a feeling of emptiness and a life without meaning. I have found that the more I honor my relationship with God and my own divinity, the more peaceful, confident, and effective I am. When I am in that space, I find it easy to connect with others, to make an impact, and to be memorable. I'm not just honoring my divinity. I'm honoring the divinity of everyone I come into contact with. I am powerful, free, and joyful. What has this to do with women taking the lead? Everything. It was a calling, a part of my life purpose to launch this podcast. At the time I was considering launching a podcast, I was bombarded with the self-doubt other women were experiencing, with the self-doubt I was experiencing on occasion, and the resulting lack of action and unhappiness, and it bothered me. I thought, what would the world be like if all women could recognize that we are as deserving as men, that we are truly equal partners, and that it is just us, oblivious to our own divinity and power that holds us back? That being said, I don't need you to believe what I believe. Many of my friends do not claim a strong relationship with God, and some are where I was back in 2006. I love them and enjoy their friendship no matter what they believe. My policy is, come as you are. We are all on our own journeys, and I honor that. I would not want to miss out on the pleasure of getting to know you because we saw things from a different angle. And my client, who originally thought I could possibly be an evangelical American, when I reached out to her to get her permission to share our conversation in this episode, she shared with me that I had gotten her thinking about an old fascination she had with Celtic mythology. It had more of a connection to the earth and environment than traditional and dogmatic religions, and so it resonated with her. This got me sharing with her the fascination I had with Greek mythology. My point being, even though from the outside we appear to be on opposite ends of the spectrum, there's actually a lot of common ground here, and a jumping-off point for a conversation if she wants to have it. Wherever you are, I want you to find more ways to experience and express how amazing you are. That is going to start with you being true to who you really are. If you'd like to share where you are in your journey or have a chat, you can comment on the blog post that accompanies this episode at womentakingthelead.com forward slash spirituality. You can comment on the post or the tweet where you found this, or you can email me directly at Jody J-O-D-I, at womentakingthelead.com. My hope is always that what I share is of value to you. Thank you so much for being a part of my journey, and here's to our success. Thank you all for joining me on Women Taking the Lead. And to strengthen you on your own leadership journey, I'd like to send you off with a quote from Marianne Williamson, so here goes. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. 
There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Again, thank you for joining me, and here's to your success.